Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So we've been walking together through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and we're calling this series Life in the Kingdom. And Jesus is instructing us how to live in this world, to live in the neighborhood that you live in, to work where you work, to go to school where you go to school, as a citizen of another world. Because when we put our faith in Christ and we confess him as our king, we become citizens of his kingdom. In other words, we become ambassadors. So we live in the United States, but we primarily ought to see ourselves as ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is teaching us a radical new ethic of what it looks like to live inside of the kingdom now. And this ethic is grounded in two things, and that is one is dependence upon God and the other one is love. Today we're going to talk about a really interesting spiritual practices that strengthens our muscles in living inside of this kingdom, and that is called fasting. So if you are following along in your notes, if you have a bulletin, I'm going to use some, some language that I learned from a man named Bill Dogdrum. <clears throat> I learned a lot about fasting and other spiritual practices from him. So if you see it in your notes, I give you a definition of fasting is this. To abstain in some significant way and for a concentrated period of time, usually classically from food, to train attentiveness to and dependence on God. So you stop eating for a little while to feel the hunger pains and to redirect those hunger pains to God. It's a way of becoming more hungry for the presence of God in our lives. And I believe for most of us, not for everyone, if food is a thing for you, you should be careful. But for most of us, fasting ought to be just part of a regular rhythm of our lives when it comes to spiritual disciplines. And there are some health benefits. Intermittent fasting is a, is a big thing now. But we don't do it for the health and the physical benefits. We do it for the spiritual benefits when we fast spiritually. And there are a ton of benefits on the spiritual level. But at a very practical, I mean just very basic level, when you say, I'm not going to spend my time eating during the breakfast time that I would normally eat or during the lunch time that I would normally eat. Instead of eating then, I'm actually going to focus on prayer or sitting silently with Jesus or reflecting on a, a memory verse or reading scripture. It's intentionally pursuing time in those, pursuing God in those times that you would, you would usually be eating. Making more space in your real-life calendar schedule for more time with God. 
Dogdrum says, and this is in your notes too, the primary goal of fasting is that we might learn to depend, to feast on the substantial reality of God. Remember, Jesus said he was like bread. To feast on the substantial reality of God, bread of life, to come to understand that ultimately he is our sustenance, even if, is the, even if food is the means he uses to sustain us sometimes. Now, there's a lot for you to chew on there. That's a good pun. That's a really good pun. There's a lot for you to chew on. I just have to point out my little cleverness in messages. The point is, fasting is a legitimate spiritual practice that Jesus now addresses in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's couched in this section that we've been talking about where Jesus is addressing religious people like us who are sometimes tempted to use our spiritual disciplines as a way of showing off to others. And in so doing, we become hypocrites. We're in a section where Jesus is addressing spiritual hypocrisy. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app or it's in the bulletins this week, Matthew 6, 16 through 18 is where we're going to hang out this morning. And I'm going to start with verse 16, and we'll slowly go through it like we typically do. And when you fast, this is Jesus talking, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, this infatuation with showing off spiritually. In this case, it's showing off how we deprive ourselves to become more spiritual because fasting is a form of deprivation. And it's often a a fruitful practice to deprive ourselves of certain things because it reminds our bodies, as we said before, that our bodies are not in charge. When you deprive yourself of something, you're saying, my body is not in charge of me. I'm in charge of it. And it reminds us, too, that God is our ultimate provider and provision. But it's possible to do that in a way where you're kind of showing off. I remember having a conversation with someone once, and I, was, I asked I just, a very innocent question. And I didn't know I was going to get preached at. I said, uh, are you watching? I think it was like the latest Netflix show or something like that. And um, <laughs> they said, I'm going to embellish a little bit for dramatic effect, but essentially they said, we don't watch that because we think it makes you spiritually soft. We don't watch TV because we think it makes you soft spiritually. And so we do things that are redemptive. We use our time redemptively. We do family hymn sings for an hour when other people are watching TV. You could have just said no. Like, if you're trying to make me feel like an idiot, you did it. Good job. I feel very unspiritual, but you guys are really spiritual. Good job. This is, I always like using other people's examples because mine are really embarrassing, but that one's, that was somebody else did that one. It goes back to this principle. When you do something for show, it loses all of its intrinsic value. This is especially true in spiritual matters. When you fast for the purpose of showing off to other people how committed you are, it loses its spiritual impact on your life. Now, 
Before we jump in a little bit further, sometimes it's, it's good, it's often good for other people to know that you're fasting. And it's actually really good for people to know so they can be praying for you in that because it, it, some things tend to come up when you're fasting. And it's good to have brothers and sisters praying for you. But you want to make sure that the focus of this discipline is not on impressing other people. My mentor says, uh, you don't fast because you're spiritual, you fast to become spiritual. So why would you brag about that? And if your focus is on impressing others, that's all you'll get from it. Others will be impressed and you'll receive no spiritual benefits Verse 17, but when you fast, now this is an important phrase because it shows us that Jesus does actually endorse fasting. He's saying this is, this is actually a good thing. And this is an important aside here. We're going to pause for a minute. Because Jesus' disciples, when he was here, did not fast. That's interesting. We ought to know why they didn't fast. So we're going to look at a, a side passage here. In Matthew 9, 14 and 15, and we're just going to kind of answer the question, if fasting is good, why didn't the disciples do it when Jesus was here? So Matthew 9, 14 and 15, Then the disciples of John came to him, Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is saying the disciples don't fast because I'm here. I'm here. Fasting is a way of longing for God's more tangible presence in our lives. Imagine the disciples fasting and like, God, we're just depriving ourselves of food because we want to turn those affections, those longings, those those hunger pains to you because we want more of you. And Jesus is over in the corner like, here I am. I'm already here. And so he's telling, he told John's disciples, they don't need to because I'm here. I mean, the disciples got concentrated time with God up close and in person. That's really important because we're longing for more of his presence. They had it in the flesh. God was with them. And which is why in 1 John 1, 1 and 2, John, one of the disciples, cannot get over this. The sheer amazement of 1 John 1, 1 and 2 is amazing. Listen to what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, that which was from the very beginning, before anything else existed, God, which we have heard, the disciples and I got to hear him, some of us got to hear him teaching, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, put skin on. God put flesh on. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. When it sunk into the disciples that God himself actually became their friend, it was mind-bending for them. You can see it in their later writings. 
And that this is, this is one of the trillions of benefits we will get when Jesus, if you are in his family, if you have put your faith in Christ, when he returns, we'll get to see him too. This is kind of a silly thought, but you ever think about what he looks like? Or what his sense of humor is like? We get a lot of his personality in the Gospels, but... I wonder, is he more prone to laugh at my funny or Kara's funny? And i got to be careful to not go too far in the weeds, but I've told you guys before the story about Kara and I, when I said to her one time, she was laughing about something, and I said, you and I have very different senses of humor. And she said, yeah, I'm funny and you're not. I mean, I wonder about stuff like that. When I'm with Jesus in person, when he returns, and I'm just wanting to hang out with him, and, I wa- and I'm trying to impress him, and I wonder if he's going to be like, yeah, that wasn't funny, Greg. She's funny. She is funny. And probably because I recognize some of the same snark in Jesus in the New Testament that I see in Kara, so I think they'll get along swimmingly. The reason why the disciples didn't fast is because for a precious few years, they got to experience firsthand the joy and the wonder of Jesus telling jokes with them, doing laundry with them, having heart-to-heart conversations with them, traveling going to funerals with them. You ever think about the fact that funerals tend to lose their sting when the presence of God is there? I mean, let's tease this out for a second. Because the disciples had the personal, in the flesh, bodily presence of God with them, and fasting is a means for us now to experience more of his presence in our life. So let's talk about what would it look like for the disciples when God was here in the flesh to attend a funeral with them. Well, whenever Jesus attended a funeral in the scriptures, everyone got out alive. We ought to think about that. If you're alive when Jesus is here and he showed up at a loved one's funeral, you were really happy to see him because you're about to have a really good day. And the same is true for when Jesus returns to earth in person. I mean, we mourn at funerals now, and we ought to. We should. But for those in Christ, we know that he's going to come back. And we're all going to have a really, really good day when he does. Because when he shows up, when God shows up, dead things start living again. It's just one of the benefits the disciples had of having him in the flesh immediately with them. So the point of that is, why would the disciples fast if God himself was already there with him? For us, Jesus is not currently with us in person. The spirit of the risen Christ inhabits a Christ follower, lives inside of them, and fasting is an expression of our longing for more of the reality of him living inside of us in our everyday lives. It's a way for us saying, I know you're with me, but I want to experience more of you. 
The things of earth just aren't doing it anymore. I just can't entertain myself enough anymore. I don't, I'm not checking off enough big things to do in life anymore. I think what will give me real gravity and meaning and fulfillment is more of you. I think that's really the only thing. That's what fasting is for. And when he returns, fasting will be obsolete. So, let's pick it back up at verse 17. When you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So in that time, oil, putting oil on the skin, on the head, is, is very similar to like putting lotion on your skin. I mean, people still had dry skin back then, even in that climate. It gave your face a glowing countenance, so most people would put oil on their Skin, and there were spiritual implications too. Um, it, oil represented joy. It represented the Holy Spirit. So when people fasted, sometimes they would stop doing that. They'd stop putting oil on their on their faces, and they'd look very gaunt. And people would be like, "You look terrible," and they'd be like, oh, "That's because I'm fasting." <laughs> they'd be like, "Good job." <laughs> but Jesus is saying, "Don't do anything different that would draw attention to the fact that you're fasting." And if you are fasting for the right reasons, the Father will reward you. Again, it's this idea that we've talked about that when you do things that nobody, when you do good things out of sheer love and desire to please God, but you do them in secret in a way that nobody knows you're doing them but God, He rewards you for that. And fasting is included in that. I have this statement in your notes. And this is the right motivation for fasting and any spiritual discipline that you might do. It's far better for people to experience the fruit of your spiritual practices rather than them being pressed, impressed by the actual practice itself. That's a really important concept for us. You ever hear the statement, um, don't tell me about the labor pains, I just want to see the baby? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a callous thing to say. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's a good thing. But it is that way with spiritual disciplines. Don't brag to me about what you do to draw nearer to God. Just show me the fruit of those practices with your life. How about that for a concept? That's even better. When I actually see you transforming and becoming something altogether different than you've ever been, that's interesting. I don't need to know how you got there. So rather than bragging about our fasting practices, why don't we just let, when we're with people, them experience the presence of someone who has clearly spent a lot of time with Jesus. Someone who isn't operating at the same frenetic wavelength of everyone else we know. Someone who isn't devastated when things don't go their way. Someone who doesn't have to win every argument. Someone who is becoming more and more predictably joyful. And you're never guessing. You're not having to guess how they're going to show up today. Because predictability is a fruit of spiritual maturity. Ha, ah, you haven't blown your top in a while. That's interesting. What's going on? Someone who is enamored with Jesus so much that they don't need to gossip or complain. Their life is more and more marked by gratitude, thankfulness, the type of stuff that fasting can bring about. 
See, the difference is rather than bragging about what you do to become these things, you just keep those things quiet and you just become those things. Now, again, fasting from food is the classic way of, or classic understanding of fasting. Bill Dogram says, nothing shakes up the system more than fasting from food. So if you want to feel an immediate tension in your soul, your body will start yelling at you when it misses a meal that you normally eat. Nothing shakes up the system more than that. So that's why fasting from food is the, is the typical way, and Dogram suggests starting with um, fasting from two, fasting two consecutive meals at the same time on a weekly basis. So if you don't normally eat breakfast, you can't say, I, I don't eat that one anyway, so let's just say I skip lunch. No, two consecutive meals that you normally eat, fasting from those meals. And when you start feeling those hunger pains, you direct them towards God. God, I am miserable right now, and I, I, I want you to satisfy me. And if you do this long enough, then you'll stop being preoccupied by the fact that you're not eating, and you'll start getting somewhere with God during those times. But you can also get a lot of benefits from fasting from other things. Fasting is a way of detangling ourselves from the things in this world. And I have a couple questions, and I'm going to warn you, they're tough. I put them in your bulletins. Here's the first one. What is it that you use to medicate yourself? To numb yourself when you're feeling pain. Because when we're feeling pain, we automatically try to fix it. Like, get rid of the pain now. Like, whatever you have to do to stop this pain, whatever I need to do to feel better, I need to do it right now. For me, it, it used to be, and it's becoming less and less this, that where's my phone? I'm, I'm bored, or I'm uh, sad, or I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely. Give me, give me my phone. Give me, like, uh, ESPN, what happened in the game last night, or, or YouTube, or something. Like, entertain me, phone. I'm not feeling good. I need to medicate myself. I need to get through this hour. And Jesus finally was like, put the phone away. Because you know what happens when you suppress pain? Which comes to the surface when you fast. You become like a cardboard version of yourself. When you suppress pain, when you pretend it's not there, it dehumanizes you. And it comes out sideways somewhere else. Now, when I say, what is it that you use to medicate yourself, I'm not talking about actual medication. I am an advocate and a big-time proponent of medication for people who need it. I promise you. And if that's a hang-up for you, um, that you think taking some type of like prescription medication is unnecessary as a follower of Jesus, then you're... You might not like it here because I think God uses means to ends sometimes. So I'm not talking about that. Keep taking your medicine. I'm talking about things that medicate us like social media, alcohol, Netflix. You looking at things you shouldn't be looking at? 
How do you numb out? What's your crutch to help you limp through life? Because we've all got them. Every single one of us. The second question is, when you're feeling down, what do you turn to rather than Jesus to pass the time? And I'm just gently inviting you now to pay attention. Remember, shame has no room here. This is not about shame. This is just, I'm inviting you to pay attention. When you're feeling down, what do you turn to rather than Jesus to pass the time? Why don't you for a season fast from one of those things? And instead of avoiding the pain, learn to sit with pain with Jesus and let the pain do its work because it will inevitably drive you closer to him. And when you get closer to Jesus, all the other stuff seems to begin to lose its power over you. But see, we don't sit with pain. And fasting is a way of sitting with pain, too. It might look something like this. I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling something uncomfortable. I'm feeling sadness, loneliness, whatever it is. I'm not going to grab my phone. I'm not going to binge on chocolate chip cookies. I'm not going to do whatever it is I normally do. This time, I'm turning to Jesus. And so I want you to prove that you're actually here, Lord, that you actually care, that you can actually do something about this, because I wonder if sometimes we believe that he can actually do anything at all in our lives. I'll listen to a worship song or I'll take a walk and pour out my heart to God or I'll reflect on a Bible verse that addresses my issue or I'll just sit in silence with Jesus and I'll just wait for him to show that he's actually there. These are all ways of fasting from things that entangle us from this world. And they turn our hearts more completely to the only one who was ever actually able to overcome the world. And that's how we'll end, John 16, 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have pain. You will have suffering. You will be wronged. It'll happen. But take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. What do we need to deprive ourselves What do we need to fast from in order to not turn to those things anymore for comfort and instead make space to turn to Jesus and experience his presence and his power in our lives in ways that maybe nothing else will accomplish? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.